Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 37. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Acton-Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of Life of the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. This episode, I sit down with Jabin Burnworth. Jabin is a science teacher at Manchester Junior Senior High School in North Manchester, Indiana. He currently teaches Biology 1, Anatomy and Physiology, and AP Environmental Science. Jabin is known for extending his teaching beyond the classroom as he regularly leads a group of AP environmental science students on a trip to the Florida Everglades. He has also been very involved in the North Manchester community by serving on the Public Library Strategic Planning Committee, the North Manchester Tree Commission, North Manchester Community Trail Network, and as a president and board member at large for the Environmental Education Association of Indiana. Some of his past awards including, include the 1999 Indiana Association of Biology Teachers Creative Teacher Award and the Manchester Community Schools 2016-2017 Outstanding Teacher. Welcome, Jabin. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Great. Yeah, we were, we were just talking before we started recording, and I was saying we literally got introduced on Twitter. Um. <laughs> I love Twitter. It's amazing, the connections that you can make there. Yeah, and I was I was telling the story that I was walking around in the exhibition hall with uh, with Paul Strode, and he turned to me. He's like, "Oh, you know who you have to get on the episode? You got to get Javen." And um, I know that where you teach is near and dear to Paul's heart and his roots. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he was he was he was gushing about you. So uh, I was pretty excited that we could connect and and record for this episode. Well, that's that's pretty amazing coming from Paul because uh, you know Paul's one of those guys that I definitely look up to and. Uh, and he's one of those guys that I'm just like, he's doing amazing things. And uh, uh, in in the world of, of biology, he's uh, he's a rock star for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we'll bring, I'm sure Paul will come back uh, later on in our conversation because um, it's hard not to, he's one of those guys who's hard not to talk about. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. So uh, let, let me get started with a question I like to ask everybody. Um, how'd you become a science teacher? What What led you into the classroom? I originally um, wanted to be a teacher. My father was a uh, college professor, and I got to see him in action from a very young age. And I knew that I wanted to be a teacher, uh, but I didn't know what kind of teacher. I originally started off uh, majoring in elementary education, and uh, fortunately, we had to visit a classroom uh, my freshman year in college and I went to a fifth grade classroom with an awesome teacher she was amazing uh, uh, award-winning the kids loved her but I knew in that moment there was no way <laughs> I wanted to be uh, a you know, elementary teacher uh, you know God bless him but I, I just could not do it and so I I kind of gone back and forth with biology and uh, ed I I didn't think I could do biology. I didn't have a lot of confidence at that time. I thought I would be too too hard and and uh, that I wouldn't be successful uh, in that. I though I did have a fantastic high school biology teacher in, in high school. I think that's what really 
you know, sparked my interest in, in the subject matter. And uh, at the time, so I graduated in high school in 1990. Uh, and I told people that um, I was going to study either L ed or biology. And then later I just told them, okay, I'm switching my major to biology. And the common response that I got was, oh man, I, I just couldn't stand biology <laughs> when I was in high school. I don't know. Did you get that too? When you, when you were, it was crazy to yeah. hear that. And it really bummed me out a lot um, to hear that people would say that. And I was like, oh man, I had a great biology teacher. I loved it. And, uh, and so I, you know, hearing people say that again and again and again, I, I realized like, I, this is it. This is where I want to be. And, and the classes in college were not easy for me. I remember uh, getting uh, a C minus, uh, you know, it had to be like, uh, you know, uh, very, very close D plus in one of those <laughs> classes and just jumping for joy. I'd never been so happy for a C minus in my entire life. But um uh, after my first year of teaching, I knew I made the right decision and I knew this is really where I wanted to be. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that about the, the, like the biology. Um, I hear that a lot of times from people that, you know, oh, like high school science or high school biology. When you said it, my mind didn't go back to like when I was studying biology, my mind went to like conversations I have with people like today. Like, you know, you go out to, you know, you go out and you meet some people or you go to a place where you're talking to, you know, other teachers in your district. And right. for, for whatever reason, you know, maybe it's like a mentoring meeting. And so like I'm meeting the other mentors who work with the elementary teachers or like, you know, junior high math or stuff like that. And I, I they say, what do you teach? And I say, you know, high school biology. And they're like, oh, high school biology. <laughs> so like my thought wasn't the feedback people told me when I was you know studying it, but rather the the way I feel that like my peers in the community sometimes talk about it. Um, uh-huh. And it makes me wonder, cause I, I will be honest. I, I did not, I was not inspired by my high school biology teacher to be a high yeah. school biology teacher. Um, yeah. It actually was my college biology teachers that, that sort of, you know, sparked the wonder that made me like sort of realize how cool the stuff was. Uh, but for me, I felt like, you know, what happened in honors biology when I was in high school was you'd walk in the room, the lights would go off the overhead projector would come on. There'd be some writing on that. You'd write some things down. Every few days you'd come in and you'd do like a very descriptive lab, one that was fairly cookbook. Um, and it wasn't that she was a particularly bad storyteller. It's just that it wasn't, you know, it, it, like I was 15-year-old me, 16-year-old me. There would have to been a lot more exciting stuff going on to catch yeah. my attention. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, I and and that is I get I do get that a lot too from people uh, nowadays, especially well two things they're like oh man how do you work with teenagers you know <laughs> like aren't they all crazy you know and and I'm like no I love teenagers I think they're awesome I think they they make me laugh every single day and they ask really great questions and and you know they're interested yes there are times where you want to just scream at them and say like why didn't you do your work or why didn't you try harder? That sort of thing. But um, I think they're, they're, I don't know, fantastic people. And it's fun, especially I have, so I have freshmen in biology one for the most part. And then I have juniors and seniors in anatomy and then mostly seniors in AP environmental science. And it's really fun to see a group go from, you know, kind of awkward freshmen to, uh, you know, young adults as seniors and really start to, you, I don't know, you have those moments where you just see it click mm-hmm. and you're like, oh man, the light bulb just went on and they 
feel like they understand what you're talking about, but also can formulate their own ideas about the concepts that you're yeah. presenting. It's all, that's a, it's a great, great feeling. Yeah. So the, like you're bringing up sort of what I sometimes consider the triangle of what it is to be like a teacher. Like, I think you have to love the kids. Like his, and that, your reaction about teenagers, exactly the same way. Like I was like, Oh, the teenagers, the teenagers are like the best part. Like, like, <laughs> like, like I love science and I love, yeah. uh, but the, like, honestly going and spending my day with teenagers, like that's the good stuff. Like they're, yeah, his, yeah. they're hysterical. Um, they, I don't know. Like to me, that's like, that's great. Like the, the, I don't find the, the five periods a day that I spend with the teenagers, the hard part, like prepping yeah. for those periods and getting all the materials ready. And then, you know, the grading, like all the stuff around that, but the, uh, the five periods that I get to spend with the teenagers, that's the good stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. so you couple that, you couple the, te- you know, knowing and enjoying the the population you work with. Um, and I, I think the same goes true of whatever, like there are people who they walk in and just like you said, fifth grade, not for me. There are people who find that age group, you know, they find 10, 11 year olds and they're like, I love 10 and 11 year olds. Um, right. <laughs> I, I, I love one 10 year old. He, he's up, <laughs> he's upstairs. Um, and I, and I actually like a lot of the 10 and 11 year old, uh, boys that I coach. Um, they're not my favorite age group in the world, but you can find the joy there. And then right. you bring in that third piece, which is like the the puzzle of teaching. Like that, that because I think the passion for your subject and the passion for your kids, and you bring in then the passion for the, the solving the puzzle of education. So I feel like you've told me a lot about sort of the finding that group that you deal with and finding yeah. your subject. What about the the the, the teaching part, the 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 making the education part work because just having passion and liking the kids, it goes a long way, right. but it's not how you get the creative educator award. It's not how you get outstanding teacher. How did, how does the teacher part fit in? Right. That's a, that's a great question. And uh, one that I think that I, I still am learning uh, sometimes on a, it seems like a daily basis, <laughs> but um uh, part part of it's excitement for the subject matter, but also um, experiences from the past. I think we all had that teacher that was using the same worksheet that they had since like 1972. You could always <laughs> like, yeah, I still every once in a while will see like an old like worksheet that looked like it had been a copy of a copy of a copy, and I'm like, oh man, you know, you could you should probably just pitch that, you know, it was in a filing cabinet somewhere and let's bring it out. Cause it's a good one. You know, this is a good one. I'm not going to let, let go, but, but kids, I think see through that and, um, and they, they re- realize that that's not authentic. And I think that, you know, trying to figure out that puzzle of how do you get kids so you're enthusiastic, you've got a great group of kids, but now you want them um, uh, to learn the material too. I think you've got to be authentic and you've got to challenge them. Uh, I think kids want to be challenged. They don't want, we were just had this conversation with my AP kids the other day because they're, they're used to scoring so high on, on their tests and just not studying and just being able to like dial it in. And now they're not getting like perfects on exams. They're not getting perfects, you know, uh, 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 on all the homework and I'll call them out on stuff. And, and they're like, but, but, but I'm like, do you want just to be spoon fed or do you want a challenge? Do you want to learn this stuff? Do you want to get, you know, feel like that 
you've come away with a better understanding about how the um, environment works. And, you know, there's some that would rather just get the A and be, <laughs> be fine with it. You know, we've all had those. But, you know, seeing those kids, they're like, no, you're right. You know, we do want to be challenged. We do need to work harder. And I think that's a piece of it. Yeah. But also, I, I, for, for me, I, I try to I, – I, I can't stop, like, learning. Someone was j- joking around the other day. They're like, oh, what book are you reading? I said, oh, it's something about um, the environment. I just finished a book about um, – it's called The Last Transition about um, the, from Lester Brown, the shift from, like, fossil fuels to renewables. And um, they're like, why don't you read like, you know, something fun? And I'm like, that is fun for me, you know, and I and I and I see a direct application of how I can use it in the classroom. They're like, don't you just want to like check out? And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I just finished Stranger Things season two and it was really awesome. And, don't stop. Yeah. I'm on like seven. So you got to stop. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I'm, no more. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I think that for me. Um, my what I try to do is show the students that I'm excited about something, and if I'm not excited about something, I think they can they can tell, and and they're mm-hmm. bored, and and I might not, I seem boring when I'm not excited about something, yeah. And it doesn't have to be like, woo, woo, let's go, you know, like I'm jumping off desks and you know, captain my captain stuff like every sort of day, but. Enough that they know that I want to be here. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Because I, you know, I think there's a, as you were saying that, it made me think about, and it's a thought I've had before, sort of about the energy of a classroom. Like, there, I think there's like an inherent energy to like your room. Like, what's the vibe of it? Is it, and every sort of teacher has their own sort of vibe. And some teachers is like super laid back and it's like a, a relaxing place for kids to go. And some it's like, you know, it's a tense place. Like you go in and it's like, this is the tense class. Like this is, and this is so hard. Everyone's so on edge. And, um, I think that, you know, we are the, we're the tone setter for that environment. So however we walk in and whatever we say and how we act sort of sets that tone. But absolutely, if you go into something and you're just going through the motions, there's no way that a teenager is not going to read that. Right. Um, so yeah, it makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a struggle to know like if there is, you know, a, you know, a balance or if you just have to be yourself. Um, because I think some teachers who are really strict and really, you know, like have that element of maybe slight fear, you know, are, you know, do connect with students in ways that like I don't fully understand. You know, I'm more kind of laid back and and I mean, I'm not saying that they're are no rules. I mean, there's rules in my class, but like, I'm not like stern and you know, you're going to do it my way and that sort of stuff. I don't know, you know, where's that balance and how do you balance that with like school rules and uniformity and, and, uh, and yet be yourself. I think that's a struggle of, uh, of the profession. I mean, we have the weirdest job in the world, you know, cause we've got to like teach this. We've got to be passionate about our, our subject matter. We've got to get kids excited. We've got to make sure that they've got to learn that material. But then we have also colleagues that don't necessarily do it the same way we do it. And administrators that want us to do it, uh, you know, perhaps a certain way that we're not comfortable with, or we are comfortable with. And it's, and then there's parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it, there is a balance. I do think that really wherever you are or whoever you're with, um, there has to be a degree of authenticity. So like, even if it's like strict, like you're strict in an authentic way. Um, Like I don't, 
you know, when I was younger and I was a younger teacher, I think that my classes were not nearly um, as good because as I think everyone will tell you, like your first, I don't know, every year before right now, it was not as good as right now. <laughs> um, but I also know that early on in my career, I was I was very strict about like I, I, I was a I was almost standoffish. Like I was like I held the kids almost at arm's length and yep. had a set of rules. And I did not let a lot of my personality come through in my teaching. Um but I don't really think that that was like, I think the biggest reflection that was is like who I was as a person. Like, you know what? 28, like 28 is hard. Being 20 is hard. 28 and in charge of 20 some odd teenagers is really hard. Oh yeah. And I was 22 when I started yeah. and I was thrown into an upper level biology class with 18 year olds. And that, you know, I, this is horrible, but I remember at one point this kid and he's, he's now, you know, mm-hmm adult but he I, we're st- we still keep in touch but and i don't know if i've ever told him this story but he asked a question that i couldn't answer and it was it was one of those questions that i felt like i should and i literally got that sick sinking feeling in my stomach you know like when your heart like you know drops into your stomach and you feel like you're gonna throw up that i like i i say oh excuse me for a second class uh, uh i think there's someone outside my room that needs to talk to me and i went outside and i was like what am I doing? You know, I can't, I don't know if I could do this anymore. You know, like I, I don't know all the answers. And it was, that was a definitely an eye opening moment for me. <laughs> yeah. And it takes you probably about like 10, 12 years of doing it before you realize, Oh, I don't have to know all the answers. Right. At least right, right. that that was me. Like I would say it took me like yeah, no. nearly a decade in the classroom before I let go of all of those vestiges of feeling like I had to know yeah. the answers. Um, and, right. and I think when you get to that point, you turn this corner and you get to go, oh, it's all right. Like they expect me to know a lot of stuff, but they don't expect me to be a robot who knows everything right. that anyone has ever did. And if they do, they're not <laughs> on this planet. And it's because right. they're a teenager. Um, so so we sort of have alluded a little bit, you know, you're talking about the different level classes. Um, and I, I brought up Paul earlier because, you know, he was he was talking about like, oh, you do this amazing stuff with your class, even though you're in a small school. And it definitely felt like he totally um, got your community. And I know from his background, where he grew up, it sounds like he grew up in a place that is either very close to where you teach or, you know, in a very similar community. So what is, what's your school like? What's your community like? What's your population? You know, you're taking these kids down to the Everglades. So these are like sons and daughters of captains of industry and biotech companies <laughs> and university labs, or what is it like there? Right. Well, Paul grew up in this town. So yeah. he is from North Manchester and um, it's a small town. It's a about um, 6,000 people, uh, very rural community. We're um, about uh, two and a half hours north of Indianapolis uh, uh, and then about our closest big city is Fort Wayne. So we're about 45 minutes west of Fort Wayne. Um, you know, it's a mix of um, students from farm communities um, and a mix of students uh whose parents do work at our university. We Manchester university is located in North Manchester, Indiana. And so I do um, have some uh, university professors, kids and um, uh, staff members um, 
um, students in, in my class. Um, but I would say that the majority is, is rural, um, working at either, you know, in the, in the agriculture industry, or, uh, we have just North of us, a pretty large, uh, we're the orthopedic capital of the world. So, um, if you know anybody with a knee or a hip or shoulder, it, probably came from Warsaw, Indiana. So, uh, it's really a weird, weird story, but, um, a really great, you know, huge industry for us in this area. And so that's where the, they're manufactured, the replacements. Yeah. Some are manufactured here. Um, there's, I, I don't know all of the, uh, or the exact number of parts, but, um, Depew, uh, Synthes and then Zimmer Biomet are the, the two big names that are located in Warsaw. And so they have plants other places, but some of those pieces are manufactured right there, uh, in Warsaw, wow. which is pretty crazy. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's definitely got a rule, uh, um, feel to it. Kids are pretty, pretty respectful, but they're also, um, um, kids too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know, no matter how big you are, but, um, uh, yeah, it's a good, it's been a great place. I thought I would be here a couple of years. I thought it was like a stepping stone when I got, I got the job directly out of college and I really liked the community I thought it was a really cool place to be. Um, uh, but I thought, well, you know, I want to go somewhere really awesome, like Portland, Oregon, you know, where my people are, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but, um, you know, I felt yeah, the Everglades trip and, and, um, the community and the staff and the faculty here, um, I just realized that I was able to do things that other teachers were not able to do at even some of the bigger cities, um, for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, maybe it was timing, um, uh, but, uh, you know, they believed in some of the weird stuff that I wanted to do and, and it was really fortunate. Yeah. So let's get into some of that weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> cause there's a lot of, a lot of pieces in there. Um, I, before I, I'm like, I'm torn cause you, you brought up like 12 questions. So I'm, I'm going to come back to a couple yeah. of the ideas that you just brought off, but I do want to bring up this Everglades project in particular. Yeah. 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 Um, so like you take a group of teenagers and you yeah. bring them, them to the Everglades. So like. I want to know, like, how did something like this get started, first of all? Like, what brought – you're in Indiana, of all places, and you're yeah, like, yeah. what inspired and what led to you taking a group of your kids and bringing them down to Florida? Right. So my so that teacher that I talked about earlier, my high school biology teacher, who was really awesome in so many ways, uh, um, but one thing that he, he – uh, made me think of when I became a teacher was that I, he, he always told us that he was going to take us on a trip, uh, like a big field trip. And the big field trip was to Florida. He mentioned that he had done it like years before with one of his classes. And we we're like, we're your favorite class. You've got to take us to Florida. We're going to do it. And so I had him for like biology one. And then I had him for like a biology two class. And then another weird advanced class. I can't remember what it was called. And he kept saying like every year, Oh, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And then senior year came and went, we never went to Florida. So I was like, when I become a teacher, I'm going to take my kids to Florida, not necessarily to spite him, but, uh, because I didn't get to do that. And so um, it was kind of a joke at first, but then I told my principal, I was like, I would really like for my students to get some, some field experience. And, you know, Florida is attractive for a variety of reasons. Um, I originally thought what I would do is I would take a, and this was a really silly idea, but I thought, well, I will take it my environmental science students to a different national park every year. And then I realized how, 
hard it is to plan something like that. And so the first year, this was in 1998, we went to the Everglades. And then in 1999, I took my students to um, the Ho uh, uh, Rainforest in Olympic National Park. And um, it was in March and it was uh, a horrible idea, uh, but it was a great trip. I mean, we still laugh about about some of the things that happened, but um, there had been um, some really bad weather. Our campground was destroyed. Um, lots of like little crazy things happened. And I said, after that trip, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with the glades. Um, and I'm really, really glad that uh, I've done that because I, I tell people I was born in Harvard city. My home is North Manchester, but my second home is, uh, is the Everglades. I've, I've developed a community of people down there that I look forward to seeing every year. And it's been, it's been a great uh, experience um, to be able to do that. And so, um, so yeah, so how, how started was partly, uh, you know, my desire to get the kids outside and somewhere really cool. And in the process, uh, uh, I fell in love with this place. And, you know, the fact that it may not always be there is also a little bit, you know, freaky, but also like, I, I want these kids to be able to tell their grandkids, Hey, I was in the Everglades and I went with my, my high school class and, and it was, you know, an experience that I'll never forget. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, so that's kind of the, the why, um, I do it. Um, but also, uh, I've gotten the chance to, um, meet people who've led me to other people uh, on this trip. And so I don't go through a tour company. I plan all of it myself, um, not because I'm necessarily a control freak, but I've been on these tours and you're with these people and it just feels so, um, I don't know, man, like they're not, they don't love what they're doing or the kids aren't getting anything out of it or I don't know. And I, and I, I don't want to diss like big tour companies or anything like that, but I want to, I want to cater a trip that for students that are taking AP environmental science at Manchester junior, senior high school. And so, so two years ago, um, someone said, again, just a random meeting like, Oh, you're going to the Everglades. Well, my sister is a teacher down there and she knows somebody at university that's doing shark tagging. Do you think you'd like that? I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, yes. And so she put um, me in touch with this guy, Derek Burkholder at Nova Southeastern uh, university uh, in Dana beach. And, um, and I contacted him and said, Hey, I'm bringing a group down. I hear you doing the shark tagging thing. He's like, well, ne we've never done it with anyone outside of, of Florida. Uh, sure, we could we could do it. And so we went. And I had no idea what it was going to be like, and it was amazing. We showed up, got on a boat at like seven thirty in the morning, and then didn't get back till four thirty. And basically, the entire time we did we did research with this with this uh, with this university. Um, the kids uh, baited the hooks, uh, threw the hooks in. Um, they, we caught, uh, three sharks that day, um, two sandbar sharks and a nurse shark. The kids got to measure them, touch them, talk about shark ecology. It was, it was just like one of those like life for me, yeah. you know, I'm like, oh man, this is, this is it. You know, like I can hang it up right now because this is, this is so good. And, you know, a lot of that was just developing those relationships and, and, uh, making those connections, uh, on that, on the, on that experience. Wow. So now, all right. So you've got vision, you've got, you're building things. Let's, let's talk logistics. Um, 
yep. you know, it's, do you, how do you get your kids there? Like what time of year are you doing this? Yep. Is this a, uh, like the AP is over. And so you got this couple of weeks and you use that. Or are you doing it in the middle of the year? Does it change year to year depending on logistics? How does that work? Right. So I, to try to figure out how um, to do this trip was a lot of trial and error. And every year I try to do something to improve the trip. But I found that for our students, the best time to go um, is in February and it's also the cheapest. So I want to keep the cost down as much as possible for the kids. So if the kids um, want to dolphin swim, which is something that we do at Key Largo, um, then because we do, we don't just stay in the park the entire time, but um, we do travel around a bit. Then the cost is nine fifty. If they don't want to do that, then it's eight hundred, and so um, and so that includes everything. I tell them to bring like sixty bucks cash, and then uh, they're good to go. And we camp, and we uh, we cook our food. Sometimes we'll eat out if the weather's really bad, um, but for the most part, we try to try to keep the cost down as much as possible. So we leave in February, and that's when I found like, the flights from Indianapolis to um, Fort Lauderdale are, are the cheapest. And um, we then uh, get vans uh, from Fort Lauderdale, drive down to um, the campsite where we camp at is Long Pine Key at um, in, near the entrance of the park. And then, um, and then I try to, it, it's so crazy. I try to make the schedule the same. Like every year we try to leave on a Thursday and then come back on a Tuesday, but it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes we'll leave on a Thursday, come back on a Monday or, or, or sorry, we'll leave on a Wednesday, come back on a, a Monday, that sort of thing. But we try to make it at least, you know, five, six days kind of depending on flights. And I tell the kids, look, we, you know, I'm going to try to get the cheapest, you know, flight possible. I book all the flights. I book all the, you know, the, the vans, all that stuff just to keep the price down. Like I like thrifty.com because I can go on that website and you can book and then you can, um, then you can cancel. So you look for the best price. So I find one. And then, I mean, I probably uh, book and cancel uh, a hundred vans, <laughs> a, you know, one trip on, you know, for this gig. But, um, you know, that I just want as many kids as possible to, to, to be able to go on this trip. Wow. So yeah, so we have our own tents and we have um, our own sleepy bags. I provide that um, for the students um, that we just u- reuse every year uh, or replace periodically. And then the students are only allowed to bring a backpack. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges is uh, is trying to fit their stuff in because they're used to going to Florida and packing like three or four outfits, you know, for, you know, dinner. And I'm like, Oh no, no, no. Yeah. You just need, you know, these things. I, I learned that I had to be very specific on what they could bring. You know, you could bring this many t-shirts and this many shirt shorts. And if you have a little bit of room and you could throw a few more things, but, um, uh, we just don't have the space, you know, in the vans and in the tents and all that stuff. So, um, so they, they bring their backpack and, um, once we get down there, then, uh, then I, I've made connections with people there and um, we're currently doing a long-term project on cattails and looking at, um, an area called the hole in the donut in the Everglades. And the hole in the donut is an area where, um, 
it was farmed and then the farmers left in the in the park bought the land but when they bought the land they didn't do anything with it right away and all these invasive brazilian pepper came in and this brazilian pepper is crazy because it's it's seven or eight feet high you can't walk through it you know birds don't even like to nest in it it's just it's just crazy stuff and so they've been working on this million dollar an acre restoration fund uh, project to get rid of this um uh, this Brazilian pepper. And what's crazy is they've tried like many things. They thought, Oh, we'll burn it. Oh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll drown it. We'll spray it. We'll just cut it back. The only thing that's worked is to completely remove the pepper down to the coral bedrock. And they even have these giant street sweepers to sweep up the soil and they do no replanting. The only thing that comes back is, is stuff from the wet season. So we're looking at, um, you know, cattails get a lot of bad rap, uh, you know, high phosphate levels, high nitrogen levels, all that kind of stuff. You know, is it impacting, is farming impacting this? You know, we've got this bare ground. It's like, uh, you know, succession at its best, you know, nothing's been there. What kind of cattails are coming back? Are the native cattails coming back? Um, and so we're on year six of that project and the kids are all like cattails. This is dumb. Why do we have to do this? We have to go out and measure cattails, but they end up like seeing the, the big picture and kind of getting excited about it. I mean, they're, Shark tagging versus cattails. I mean, come on, <laughs> shark tagging is going to win like every time. But we do that, and and, and, and it's a good time. Uh, I don't know what else do you want to know about the trip. I could. T- I feel like I'm talking like so much about this. But... Yeah, that's that's what this is. This that's the format. <laughs> <laughs> you've nailed. You, you've learned the interview format, David. Like that's it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Well, we uh, we uh, I don't know if any of the, your listeners. Um, have ever um uh heard of a guy named dick uh Konachek moran he does the everyday science um series um from nsta mm-hmm. and um he is i did not realize when i met this man what like a crazy uh i mean he's published but like in the world well i saw him at the nsta meeting in chicago a few years ago he did a talk and people and i i know this man from the everglades and as a volunteer there and i knew he did work in education but i didn't realize like what a big deal he was like people were getting their picture taken with him afterwards and like asking for his autograph on these everyday science uh uh, books um and it was crazy i was like dick i I had no idea he's like well you know he's, he's real humble and he's oh it's no big deal whatever well i met him um uh uh like 20, well, no, probably 18 years ago. And he and his wife were retired and they were living in the Everglades and they were giving tours. And I'd had like, you know, national park people give me tours before, like in Shark Valley. And, and we, there's this one area where you can go on a slog hike. So you're walking in like knee deep to waist deep waters with like alligators, um, potentially, I mean, I've never seen one like, you know, come close. But last year we found a Python when we were walking through this area. That was kind of cool. Um, uh, I mean, not cool that Pythons are there, but cool that we found (laughs) one. But, um, uh, and so he took us out. Here was this guy, I think at the time he was 78. Um, you know, and we're slogging through this stuff and I saw his passion and I saw his love for the Everglades. And I was like, 
look, I don't know what I have to do, but every year I want you to give us our tour. And he's retired now, but I would say, you know, 90% of what I've learned, you know, about the Everglades are from this man who is a, you know, he was an educator and a, a college professor and then just volunteered his time in, in the park. And so, so we, we've continued, even though he's retired, I'm now, I consider myself a slog expert and he's <laughs> on the torch. And so I, I lead that tour now, which is really kind of fun. Um, we do canoeing though, after uh, Hurricane Irma, um, that area is kind of was a little bit um i mean it, it wasn't it wasn't like completely trash which was great but there was enough damage that i don't know if we're going to be able to kind of canoe this area so we, we we will do that and then um this year i'm really pumped we're gonna meet up with uh um fire ecologist and we're gonna learn about fire um uh, work in the Everglades and the importance of fire management. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, to just get the kids pumped about stuff, we do go to Key Largo. They, they have the opportunity to swim with, with dolphins. If they don't do that, and some kids just don't want to do it for, um, you know, maybe moral reasons. Um, some kids do want to do it because it's been their lifelong dream to be in the water with dolphins. And I've developed a relationship with these people and I've seen the cove and, you know, it's one of those things that like, I talk to kids a lot about it and, and, and uh, whether or not it's a right thing to do, but I don't know. It's, that's, it's always a, Always oh, one of those things. I don't know. But if the kids don't dolphin swim, then they go to Biscayne National uh, Park and they um, are doing work with park rangers there looking at the stomach contents of lionfish. So lionfish are invasive species and um, they uh, the park officials uh, uh, capture them. And then my students will cut open and will dissect the lionfish and then and then. Uh, catalog the you know what's ever in the stomach and they love that you know nobody ever is ever like oh i wish i would have dolphin swim in fact i've had some kids that say like oh, i wish i would have done the line <laughs> you know, so uh and then we then we go and we uh uh do snorkel on the coral reef in key largo we do a couple different um sites uh um off of like John Pennekamp area. So it's a great trip, man. I, I it's something I, I look forward to every year, uh, but also I throw up in my mouth a little bit every year, you know, it's like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's like high stress. Uh, my wife went as a chaperone um, a few years ago and um, we were actually, I'm trying to think if we were even married at the time and she went with a, a group that had been kind of veteran chaperones and they were like, she was like, why isn't Jabin like talking to me? And, and they're like, Oh, give him a day. He'll start talking to you after a day. He just needs to like settle down and get the tent set up and all that stuff. Cause like, it's just a really, it's a stressful thing, but yeah. it's worth it. You know, it, when, when you hear kids come back or, or you hear kids who say like, Oh, I have a better understanding of, you know, the environment and, and all this stuff and seeing this up close and in person. It's, it's, you know, that's, that's why I keep doing it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I often tell, tell one of my colleagues that they're, the kids are never going to remember the lecture that you did or the quiz that they took, but the experiential stuff that you do, that's the stuff they take yeah. with you. Um, and you're, yeah. and you're doing like the experiential thing on steroids uh, <laughs> to take them down there. Well, thanks. It's yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, you know, I, I'm very, very fortunate to, 
to have the people that go with me. I have another teacher who was my former student. Um, uh, she goes, her husband, also another former student. Um, people tend to stick around. It's funny. Um, which is great though. Uh, cause I, I love, uh, working, uh, with these people, but he went on the trip when he was a student. And so now I've got this group of people that, you know, it's, it's really awesome to be able to have these people to work with, right. you know, so I couldn't, I couldn't do it without them. This is not a, this is not a, you know, one man show by any means. Awesome. And um, my administration too, you know, yeah. they're like the fact that they let me do this is, is amazing. You yeah. know, I don't know if I tried to pull this off today, I don't know if I could do it. You know what I mean? Like, but now this is my 20th year doing it. So it's like enough people have done it that they see the importance Mm-hmm. You know, I had a principal at the time that, that believed in me and I did it. And then, you know, then it kind of kept going. I don't know. Can yeah. you, I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I do a, I do a, I mean, it's not, it's not nearly the scope of this, but I have one of those projects that where we send our students out, um, in job shadowing, um, to like all of these different places. And like, like literally in the spring, I just, you know, take my juniors and seniors and like, they just they get permission and they just like get in cars or like we drop them off at the T and they, they just like go and they go for a day and they go into the city or they go out to a lab somewhere and they go and they do this thing. Um, and I realize when I talk to other people in other schools, like, like the freedom that we're given to give these kids, these experiences are, are not universally found. Uh, right. And I do wonder did that thought you said of like, if, like I was a new teacher and I didn't have this project already established and it was established by somebody else. Um, I've just sort of helped take, you know, control over part of it. Um, or I'd say co-ownership would probably be a better way of doing it. But I've had that thought, like when I talk to other people, if, <laughs> if a new administrator started and I started and I wanted to do this project, how many no's would I get? Um, yeah. but once you get something like this established, it, it, you know, it gets harder to have that. No, like once you've got this routine down, it's part of community. It's part of culture. Um, it, it's, it's very fortunate that we get those opportunities for those. Oh kids. man. And you're lucky. Cause that is awesome. But isn't that the real world though? Yeah. I think, and I think that we, we get teenagers and yes, there, there's some that you can't trust, but I think that we don't allow ourselves to trust the good nature of some of our students and therefore you know it it, it i don't know maybe we've been you know, we get burned and then that's it you know and and uh and you know we're never going to do this i joke around with my students i'm like every rule that we have is because somebody did something really dumb mm-hmm. right <laughs> and so i'm like let's let's you know let's play nicely you know and have our nice things but um no that's really great and i think that's real world stuff you know kids are going to remember those job shadowing experiences and learn i bet they're learning not only just about their jobs but themselves and Mm -hmm. and i wish we could give more opportunities like that to students well it's funny because i say that my kids um like when i set this whole project up um i always say to them i'm like i'm like i don't know if you know this but people don't really hold teenagers in the highest esteem out in the world (laughs) right yeah yeah so i say i say to them like that's that's the world i said but the reason we have this project is because every year i harass every one of my friends and every parent who works in biotech and every you know 
cousin and older brother and former students. And I've got this network now of just sort of what you're saying. Like this project, you know, it's it's me and, and the colleague I work with who, who do this project. But really, it's not. It's the entire community who pulls together to make this happen. And then I say, and then the kids go out and they're ambassadors for right. for their generation. <laughs> yeah, right. Because if your teenagers went down there and they were like bad citizens, they'd be like, we don't want these kids from Indiana to show up. But the, your kids go down and they enrich the lives and the programs of the people in the Everglades and they look forward to those kids coming back. Yeah, that's the goal. That's yeah. that. That's and, yeah, and I think you really you nailed it right there because I think kids respond to that too, right? Absolutely. You really that way. I mean, like that, like oh wow, I'm gonna maybe sit up a little, you know, you know, straighter, you know, stand up a little taller because I am, you know, representing my school, but also, you know, I'm representing myself too, and mm-hmm. and maybe I'll get hired by one of these companies someday. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also joke with the kids that like every year at the end of the year survey, I really hope people will put down that this job shadowing thing was a waste of time and they didn't enjoy it. But none of the kids ever do that because it's like just like what you said with the, you know, like uh, the most stressed part of the year for me is pretty much the two weeks before February vacation because that's like when all the rubber meets the road and I've lined up all of the kids and all the different job shadowing and I've, I've got all the numbers worked out and I've set pretty much what's going to happen in the next month and a half on that project. Oh, yeah. And so, oh, I feel your pain, man. Yeah, I know. So, so as you're describing like the, the intensity of like there's like a couple weeks that really – while you're doing your real job and you're teaching and do all that, you're juggling like these 12 other emails and you've got the checklists. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's insane. I don't think people realize it. Yeah. Like, like I try and I try to downplay it a little bit with my, um, with the, you know, with the students a little bit um, and maybe some with the parents too. But when, it, when I talk to, you know, my, my friends, my colleagues, I'm like, man, this is insane. They're like, why do you keep doing this? I'm like, well, I love it. You know, and the kids get you know? so much out of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And I'm sure you're like me. Cause my wife is like, <clears throat> my wife is tired of me. Like she's like, I meet her colleagues or I meet a former friend and I'm like, I hear somebody's husband or somebody's wife works at like a lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm like, so would you mind, uh, <laughs> it was a couple of years there in a row that she was like, you could see, I could turn to my wife and she could see that the person had just opened the door. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch this now. And you know, but you have, you, what's the worst thing they could say? No. Is the, right. <laughs> the worst thing they could say. No. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, I, I've been trying to get into some departments there at the uh, Everglades National Park and I, it's, it's been hard and I'm really excited about this trip this year. I mentioned the fire ecologist earlier um, we just never have connected, you know, they get a thousand emails like, Oh, can I bring my school group or that sort of thing? But here's what finally happened. My uh, chaperone, one of my chaperones last year, he was a first year chaperone uh, uh, is uh, the husband of my wife's friend from college. And, and, but we're friends now too. Uh, but he is a, uh, Ranger, he's the head of trail maintenance on the North Carolina side of uh, of the Smokies, right? And so he volunteered to go down and help with the cleanup. He's like a expert in chainsaw, which which he, yeah, which is awesome. Uh, uh, but he uh, so he went down and he connected with all these people, and he's like, "Oh, by the way, my buddy," uh, and and he said, "I think I'm coming back again this year. Going to bring kids down to the Everglades," and he like to maybe, you know, do some firework. And they're like, Oh, we'll set you up. 
you know, so just that, you know, he was volunteering his time down there. Well, he's getting paid too, but like, you know, he didn't have to go down there. He didn't have to mention those things. He's a, a good worker, a funny guy, you know, and bam, he got to, to these people that I've never been able to connect with before. Mm-hmm. And I love that. So like you said, all you could do is ask. And I didn't even ask him. I think he said randomly, sent me an email. He's like, hey, I met this guy. You want me to ask him anything? I was like, ah, sure. You know, ask him, see if they, you know, they ever do school groups. And then, bam, it's just like spiraled into like, yeah. I told kids, I'm like, we're going to get to meet people that I've always wanted to meet. And they're like, Jane Goodall? I'm like, no, no. I mean, on the trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So aside from this Everglades project, uh, what are you looking forward to in the upcoming years in your classroom? Like what, it, what, what are the other things that, that, you know, that have you fired up in terms of your classroom and, and your work with kids over the next few years? Yeah. Um, so I, I love, I love teacher biology. I love anatomy and physiology, but my, you know, my real passion is environmental science and that's, um, I, I can, I don't, I don't know. I, I love, it's just my passion. And so it's not like everything else is taking the back burner, but whenever someone asks me this question, I always like immediately jump on the uh, environmental science stuff. Um, so I have a friend named Jim Poiser and he is, um, works for a, a organization called earth charter of Indiana. And he's got this really cool project going on right now where he's trying to, um, get communities to adopt a climate recovery plan. And so he, um, is working with, with youth to talk to city council members about how they can, uh, be carbon neutral in the, in the near future, whether that be, you know, 2020 or 2030 or whatever that town, um, uh, agrees to. And so he's gotten some amazing results in Indianapolis and in some of the towns surrounding Indianapolis. And so, um, we've been working with him, uh, to try to do that for our own town and, um, and keep it as student driven as much as possible. Um, we're not at the town level yet, you know, um, but uh, I want my kids, I don't know, for me, I'm, I'm trying really hard to not have as much teacher driven stuff, but more student driven stuff. But there, at some point there's gotta be that teacher, you know, do you struggle with this? Yep. Maybe we all do. Um, so how, you know, I've got, you know, I've had this plan. I want kids to get excited about it, but when kids aren't excited about it, I don't want to force them to get excited about it, that sort of thing. So am I just waiting for that group or how much do I drive it? Uh, I, I, I keep thinking there's going to be, maybe I need to shift it to the younger kids. You know, maybe my biology one students need to do it. My seniors are like, maybe they're off somewhere else. Maybe they're only thinking about the AP test or I don't know. These are the thoughts that run through my head. Yeah. Um, uh, how do I get kids to 
um, get excited about the uh, subject matter, but feel like it can be applied to their own lives. And so um, working with Jim has been really fun. And they did this movie about him. You should check it out. It's called Little Warriors. It just won a uh, award at the Heartland Film Festival in Indianapolis, um, which is really cool. And, and um, Sam, the director, is kind of taking it all over to a bunch of places. But it's really neat to see how um, how kids are making a difference. Um which is really, really cool. Um, so I'm excited about, about that. Um, and I also, there's a church in town, um, that is asked us a few years ago to, um, help them with a project to convert, um, a lawn, a huge, like two acres of, of lawn into a prairie. And so, um, my students did, uh, write a proposal and it got accepted through our town council to do that because in our town, you, if the grass is too high, then you get fined. Um, <laughs> So that is considered like in town and, it, and the grass is too high, even though it's, it's a natural prairie. And so we've had to, we've had to kind of modify some of that, but this year um, we're, we're going to burn it. So the kids are really pumped about that. Um, so uh, uh, continue to manage that. I'm really excited about that for the future. Um, but working with just trying to get kids excited about um, how they can make a difference in their own lives and, and, um, and the process of how to do that. We had our state representative in a couple of times talking about climate change and, um, and he's, he's pretty adamant that, uh, uh, that, um, climate change is not necessarily something that, uh, can be attributed to, uh, to humans, uh, increasing the CO2 levels. So, working with him and trying to uh, have a conversation about that. It's been really interesting. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things that oh. I look forward to in the future. That's, that's awesome. That's a, so you're not just uh, taking kids on this one field trip every year. So no, I, I, it's amazing to hear all those different projects because there, there are so many different scopes to it. And it is, it's that long arc. It's that long, like, that the kids are at the beginning of their lives and this is, you know, the touchstone to the years to come and how they're going to look back and reflect and, and become citizens. So it's uh those are all exciting ideas. Um, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, yeah, I just hope that the kids at the end of, of their high school career um, have, have had experiences that allow them to become who they are um, as people, but also have a better understanding of, um, how the natural world works and, um, that they're able to form their own thoughts, you know, uh, rather than just like, uh, here's this stuff on this PowerPoint and, um, you know, write it down and then regurgitate it on a test, you know? Yeah. I think that's what we all want, right? You know, we want kids to be able to think and, and, and become, uh, I don't know, people that, that never stop learning. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it. That last sentence is absolutely it. Yeah. Learners. Yep. All right. So when you're not teaching, uh, what do you like to do? Uh, that's a great, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, so I, right now I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and they're, they're keeping me on my toes, um, which is really, really exciting. Um, before, um, they were born, um, 
two of my students wrote a, uh, a grant to turn an old firehouse into a live music venue in North Manchester. And, um, and the idea was to get kids um, to start bands and play at this live music venue, but then to open for national acts. And so these two students um, got the grant, converted the old firehouse into a live music venue, and then they, um, uh, then they went on to college and graduated. And this place was still around, and they, the community at first thought, oh, this is going to be one of those places where kids like hang out and do like crazy stuff, and you know, it's you know whatever. But uh, it turned into a huge asset for the town. And so they asked me if I would start booking shows uh, uh, for the venue. And so in 2000, like I got really involved in the kind of the indie rock world and booking these these like lesser known names that I mean, some of them, I don't know. I could list like a bunch of names of bands like who have ended up like becoming not like huge we're not like talking like maroon five but like in the indie rock world they're they're kind of like uh, uh okay uh you know as far as famousness and uh but anyway so it's a real small place and so it was really fun and i really i don't play any instruments but um booking uh, uh shows was uh, uh was an amazing experience but also kind of that same sick feeling of um trying to uh like organize this band that's coming from like California to play our place. Well, we had, you remember the show's blue blues clues. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. So Steve Burns uh, had a band for a while. Yeah. So his, uh, uh, the label that he was on was a label that um, was associated with like the flaming lips. I don't know if you know the flaming lips. So the flaming lips, um, then their manager, um, called me because we had done a show with another band and they're like, Hey, would you want Steve Burns to come play? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and but also like, you know, that that's a lot of pressure, you know, like Steve's coming to play. And so he, he pulls up to our place and I, you know, you just don't know what, what it was going to be like. Is it going to be like, is he going to be like, Oh man, I'm in the middle of nowhere. This is going to be horrible. You know, what if people don't show up, that sort of stuff. And so he steps out of the van and I go up to greet him and he's like, I literally just got off the phone with my manager. And I said, where am I? I've been driving for (laughs) fields for the last hour and here I am in this town, right? And I go, I know it's in the middle of nowhere. Well, after the show, he had a great show. We had tons of people show up. It was awesome. He ended up playing Indianapolis the next night at a venue that no longer exists. And he said, Hey, do you want to come down and see that show? And I go, Yeah. And he's like, He goes, Man, I'll, and this was after the indie show. He's like, I'll play North Manchester anytime over some of these other venues because of just the, the, the excitement of the kids, um, the, you know, the, you know, the way you treated us, I know it's in the middle of nowhere, but, um, you know, this is awesome. So, so yeah, I mean, I had the, but I had that moment of like, Oh man, like when he said, like, I'm in the middle of nowhere, I'm like, I failed. This is horrible. But, but it was really, it was, he was awesome. Like awesome all around. Yeah. Steve, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee you he's not. Um, but that's right. <laughs> unless he has taken a very different career path and he is yeah. somehow a biology teacher. Yeah, uh, right. 
<laughs> but there, oh, it's it's a it's a definitely an interesting uh, side gig for you. Uh, yeah, for I don't years. do it well. The kids, so when the kids were born, like I I had to kind of let that go. But it'd yeah. be fun to get back into it someday. And I still like going to concerts a lot, and um and uh, and I I do enjoy bird watching quite a bit. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, I don't know if you uh, you have kids. Do you have yeah. kids? Yeah, I got yeah. 10, ten and fourteen. Ten and fourteen, right? So what you know, you remember those ages when they're oh, younger. Yeah. Like, uh, man, you bet you have to put a little bit of that stuff on the back burner for a while. Yeah. I mean, we still, still fun, but like, you know, different. Yeah. Different right yeah. now. Yeah. You, know, you get to this point. My wife and I, uh, do this every once in a while. It's like, we like, it's been so long that we forget. We could just like go out. We can like leave them at home. <laughs> cause, cause honestly for like, you know, a, more than a decade, like you can't go anywhere. Or if you do, it takes like so much coordination and like somebody to be here and there and like timing. And like, it's just so much work to go out. You just, you just like, don't go anywhere oh, <laughs> for yeah. like a decade. Um, oh, yeah. it, 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 just this, our, our, just our calendar. Like yeah. we sit down and we're like, okay, where are you going? So you can watch the kids. Okay, great. I'm going over here. My wife's an artist, but also an art teacher. So, uh, so it just makes our calendar complicated yeah. a little bit, but, it, but yeah, yeah. That whole idea of just going somewhere that's foreign to me yeah, right now. Yeah. I hate to break it. You will get to go somewhere someday with your wife yeah. and it'll just be the two of you. Uh, but the calendar thing doesn't clear up for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> right my, my calendar, my, our calendar's nuts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, this is cool. You get to do this, though. Yeah, yeah. This is my. Uh, this is my. This is my side gig. Uh, this is my audio uh, output. That's awesome. All right. So before we get to uh, uh, picks of the episode, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. What do you, I always love to ask people what they're reading, um, and it doesn't have to be anything to do with you know education. But what you know, what do you what do you read these days? So I got two things going uh, right now. Uh, so from on the education uh, side, um, I've been going through Make It Stick, um, huh. and it's the like neuroscience of learning, um, and I've heard of it. Uh, pitched by some other people. I'm actually working on that through a little professional learning community and we're looking at it and it's just fascinating. It's uh, that just talks about like a lot of our intuitions about learning um, are completely wrong. Like this idea that like, like, Oh, I'm most comfortable learning this way. Well, being comfortable and learning don't necessarily go together. And there's a lot of data that says doing something that is the preferred style or the, the most comfortable way um, doesn't necessarily equate to learning that right. that learning actually often happens when you're a little uncomfortable like yeah. not like not you know teetering over the precipice but a little uncomfortable and so getting something in a way that's slightly confusing or a slightly askew challenges you and you actually have to work a little bit harder and that's when you do some learning um and so that's that's a fascinating. That's sort of on the professional side. And then, uh, as you were talking about the Everglades, one of the authors that I, I read a lot of times is Carl Hyacin. Um, and yeah, I would th- I I would hope that you would love Carl Hyacin. You have your kids read the books because like almost all of his books are about the the Everglades. Um, oh, it's like I know the places sometimes, and that's what's really fun. Well, and the funny that's the funny thing is as you were mentioning all of the places, I was thinking back to like the various books that I've read that are Kyle Carl Hyacin books and the you know, the different ones that I've gone through and you know, the the various, you know, places when you said Pine Key, like yeah. Big Pine Key plays a big role in several of his books. Yeah. So uh for me that's 
you know, that's, those are really fascinating things to think about. I've been reading one of his older books called uh, Double Whammy, um, right. which is, uh, I've been reading that. It's like the first of the skink books. Um, oh, yeah. So that, that's, that's been, the, yeah, that's been the one that I've been reading at night, like two, three pages at a time before I pass out asleep. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I'm hoping that that's yeah, done. Awesome. Yeah, he's great, man. I would love to meet that guy. We keep, I keep toying around with this idea of like, writing him a letter and saying like, Hey, do you just want to like come down, hang out around the camp or like we can meet you somewhere like coffee to sit around, let's talk about someday maybe. Yeah. But I haven't yet. The worst case scenario, he says no. Um, right. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, I tell you what, you have your kids read one of his books going in, you know, like scat. You oh, know, imagine scat's if, awesome. imagine if they read scat, which is, you know, pretty, super easy. Your AP kids can blow through that. But, um, but if they read something like scat before you go in the Everglades. Oh yeah. And oh. You, know, you could totally see and say, you know, Hey, we, you know, maybe yeah. you can do that where you read a couple of the books, you know, going down and then you, you send yeah. them a message and say, Hey, we do this trip. We've been doing it for 20 years. Yep. Super into the Everglades, you know? Yep. I wouldn't be shocked if yeah. you got, if you got a little buzz off of that one. There we go. There we go. Oh, I might just have to do that. <laughs> All right. Well, if you do, uh, I want the, I want the picture. Uh, there you go. There you go. I'll give you all the credit. I don't. I should get very little of the credit. <laughs> but a photo credit. I'll take a photo credit. Okay. Sometimes I don't even get those. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> all right. So uh, it's it's pick of the episode time. So, uh, Javen, what is your pick of the episode? Okay. So my pick of the episode is going to be windy.com. <laughs> And it's also an app, Windy app, and I love it for a variety of reasons. Um, so I, I'm a poser when it comes to like a lot of like outdoor activities because I live in Indiana, but I follow like a lot of like climbers and surfers and, um, you know, people in, uh, uh, out there doing crazy stuff on Instagram. Right. And so every once in a while they'll like post like what the surf conditions are like somewhere. And I was like, Oh, what is that? What are those, you know, ISO lines there? What is this? This, this doesn't look like, uh, you know, weather.com kind of stuff. And so, so one of the, I think one of the pictures had like the little windy.com tag. And then I opened it up and I was like, oh my goodness, there's so many things that you can do uh, on the app, but also online to look at, um, you know, where the wind is coming from, but also um, uh, pressure changes. I mean, it's just like, a, it's, it's weather super load. Um, and when you look at it, at first, there is a lot going on. So you might get dizzy, <laughs> especially if it's real windy around there. But it was really fun. I shared it with some of my friends that were in the middle of the hurricane, uh, uh, Irma and Maria. And they were like, whoa. They were like, I can't get off this app. And I go, yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I'm like, from a phenomena standpoint, I can just imagine like having kids look at it. And then you okay. ask them like, okay, explain. what What is this you're seeing? Like, um, it's... It's also kind of like just like pretty and distracting. Oh, yeah. Like it's it's a little mesmerizing. You pull it up and there's like, as you said, you were talking to me about it, and I pulled it up and I was like, all of these lines and all this movement and it's, yeah. And as you said, there's like a million things you can dive into on it. So um, I thanks. I I appreciate learning about that one. That's, that's sometimes cool. I'll just um, I'll put it up on the screen before class starts and shut off all the lights and the kids become hypnotized. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm wondering like if I if I was to pull that up because we talk about, you know, 
talk about you know weather patterns and stuff like that. I talk about circulation cells and and some of that stuff early on, even in in general bio. Um, I wonder about pulling that up as sort of a phenomena early on when we talk right. about what are the factors that influence you know water and wind currents and how those those lead to those various microclimates we see around the planet. Like you know that's a as, as right. I said, I'm talking about a hook. It's it's visual. Right. It's beautiful. It, visually, it's it's a, it's stunning, but yeah. also like all the questions that could come out of it seem seem yeah, really cool. Yeah, for sure. So that's a neat one. Yeah, great. All right. So my pick of the episode is I am literally picking something that I did this week. Um, <clears throat> so this is going to come out. Um, it's going to come out next week. So we're this is going to come out the the week before Christmas. And so I'm in the middle of December. My honors bio kids. I'm doing uh, molecular genetics, and I had this moment. Last week where I was looking at what I was doing, I was looking at where I was and I was like, all right, I got to do transcription and translation. And I didn't really, I don't know. I just, I, you know, I have the models, I've done the models. Um, I've done just sort of a straight lecture. I've done sort of a Q and a, and I was like, I just want to do something different. Um, and so I went to the national center for case study teaching in science. And I went to that's the university of Buffalo website and I started looking in and I started, you know, doing some searches and I came across this, um, puzzle called, uh, or this case study called decoding the flu. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, it's a case study. It's a clicker case study where you put it up, and the story is that here's this uh, this young kid, college graduate. He's interning for these epidemiologists, and he's not getting paid, but he, they bring him down to Mexico where they're studying this flu outbreak, and everybody gets sick except for this kid and the the, the lead researcher, and he, the, so now the kid has to be the help to figure out these strains of flu, and so it gives a quick overview of the basics of the genome, the basics of the gene, and then it pulls up these genes and it pulls up these DNA sequences and says, all right, well, well, I've got this long series of letters and I've already talked about directionality in there, but like, how does the protein know where to get started? And so it goes over the idea of a promoter, talks about, you know, uh, terminators, you know, uh, it, it goes through this, all of this sort of background quick DNA and it gives them a why, like, why do I have to solve this? And then ultimately you compare four different flu strains that are in there after they've gone through and they've learned the, the rules of transcription, learned the rules of translation, and then they pick the mutant strain that makes the hemagglutinin that would be a functional form of hemagglutin, hemagglutinin, but might be a little bit different than the wild type. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. And so like my kids, you know, my kids are pretty heady and we had done a bunch of background and it was about a one hour case study. And so it took me most of a class and then a little bit of a hangover to the next class. And so it was a Friday and they were like hooked. And I will, I kid you not, I had one of those goosebump moments where I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go over, but like, I'm just going to, you know, I talked to to Jen Fannersill in my last episode and she had talked about that, like jumping off the cliff, jumping off the cliff. And I little had that moment. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to jump off here and give it a try and and trust that my kids are going to give me enough feedback and I know enough about what I'm doing to give this a shot. And I was, uh, it was in my second class and both classes went really well, but I was in my second class and I have the mutations up on the board and one of the strain mutations, it literally goes through. It's like one of them is just a straight base substitution. So it just changes one amino acid. And the next one is a, uh, one that's, uh, that adds a stop codon in like really early on. And so I went and I'm asking them, was there no differences? Is there you know, one difference, is there many differences, you know, that kind of thing. And I went over and I, I'm showing them sort of where it is. And I paused and I said, I wonder what that's for. And then literally there was this wave of, 
Oh, like they all saw it at the same point. They all saw that it was a stop. It was all they. It was like at ten different kids, all in a matter of like three or four seconds, all went. Oh, like they all got the idea of yeah. that substitution, and it was one of those moments. And I was like, oh, this is, this was so good. Um, this was so good. Like, and it was just, you know, it was a Friday. It was super engaging. We were forty. Yeah. And I got kids going and I got kids going, Oh, like they, I had them hooked. Like I had them right on the tether there for me. And it was, it was, it was, it was, you don't have a lot of great days like that, you know, in February or sorry, whatever month this is, (laughs) December, uh, you know, in December on a Friday in December. And I had them wrong and they probably would have stayed there and just been like, yeah, you could have gone on for another hour. Yeah. No, if there were no bells, I could have finished. I I totally could have finished the case and they would have been right there. Um, and then when I started update, like, honestly, one of my two classes, when I, I went back and I reviewed because we went through the four strains, but we didn't get to the, like the, the money question on it. So I went back and I reviewed what we had done just to close class out and I did it. And I, then I read the final slide, which is we did this. I literally, my fourth period class, the kids started clapping. (laughs) (laughs) so like if you want to know like does the case study sometimes get the hook you know if you can get that right match it's absolutely there and so um i just say decoding the flu now i am a i'm a nerdy epidemiology kind of guy i I love a good virus story i love a good epidemiology story so you talk about that energy and passion like this was this was right in my wheelhouse of stuff that i was super excited for um but the kids totally matched it and i i had a i had a grand time um uh, it was it was a it was a really great day. Awesome. Hey, you got to read uh, this book, Big Chicken. Do you know, it just came out. Oh yeah, yeah, book. yeah. I know that yeah. book. But man, some great stuff on epidemiology in there. Man. Yeah, was, some good zoonosis yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Check I know. I know a lot of the backstories of that. I it's on my flag list, but I'll definitely add it to my to my read. Yeah, it's uh, great. All right, well, Javen, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. This has been so much fun. I loved it. Thanks again. All right. So let me do my credits. Uh, my credits are, uh, you know, you can support this show uh, on patreon.com at patreon.com slash lots. Um, and supporters of this show get invited into a secret Slack community uh, with the supporters of John Darko and David Knufke. Um And so we have a conversation. We were talking about uh, John Darko uh, offline and, and his great work. Yeah. Great stuff. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that could be my pick of the week every week right there. <laughs> yeah, he's always he's like tweeting out stuff all the time about his, you know, pushing out his ideas. And it's it's just so great. And um, I've used I've used more of his stuff this year um, in different ways and just ex- sort of experimenting. Like, what does it make meaning to kids? And every time I use it, I get to see some some different stuff. So. Really cool stuff. Uh, music on this show and every every show is provided by X Magicians and Jake Jenkins. Uh, Jake is a former student of mine, uh, which you can sort of appreciate that. He would have loved to. He loved the firehouse, I'm sure. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, you can get show notes uh, for this and every episode at lifeoftheschool.org. You can follow me um, at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. Uh, episodes get posted on both of those. Uh, Jamin, you have a Twitter account as well. What's your handle? At Manchester Bio. At, my Twitter. at Manchester bio. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, definitely follow along. Um, I've, I will link him right into the show notes as well. So, uh, you can follow along with Javen. So again, Javen, thank you so much for joining me and, um, I'll talk to everybody soon. <laughs>